Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday to you. It's a beautiful, beautiful day, and I'm happy to be in the Word with you this morning. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. We call this Tim with Tim, uh, and most of you have been with me for some time. Now, we got some new folks, and I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, it's great that you found us. We're trying to work our way through the whole Bible verse by verse. We jump back and forth between Old and New Testament to try to keep it fresh for us. And right now, man, it's as good as it gets. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. By as good as it gets, I just mean, man, this is really engaging, really interesting, really great story, and I love it so much. And, uh, and I love reading it with you. It's fantastic to do this together, so I'm glad that you are investing this time in your spiritual life and in our time together in the Word. Uh, we left off yesterday. Uh, Peter had been preaching after Peter and John had healed the lame man in the temple, and now we're in chapter 4. It says, while they're still speaking to the people, they're confronted by the priest, captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees, some of the Sadducees. Um, notice here the way in which, so far, um, the Christian movement has been very, very well received by the people. Uh, back in chapter 2, I think it's what verse 47, something like that, it literally says they were enjoying the goodwill of all the people. So that's on the day of Pentecost there. Um, here we have this note in verse 4 where it says now the total is like 5,000. So thousands of people have come to Christ because of the first preaching of the disciples, the apostles, uh, after Pentecost. So it's really pretty fantastic. I think, and we'll talk about it more as we go, I think that Theophilus uh, is most likely, remember Theophilus is the one to whom the books of Luke and Acts are addressed. Go back to verse 1 and it, you know, it says, you know, you know, Theophilus in my first book. You know, so we know that Luke is writing to somebody named Theophilus, but we never know who Theophilus is. I personally believe that Theophilus must be some person who is in a position of influence over the trial of Paul. Because the book of Acts will end with Paul going on trial in Rome. So I think that this is somehow background information. Luke writes the gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts as background information for someone who may be trying to make a decision about Paul and his preaching. So if that's the case, I, I think that's why it seems like you know the book of Luke and Acts both sort of go uh, the extra mile to establish, first off, that the Christian movement was no threat to Rome. Jesus wasn't trying to you know, bring some sort of political rebellion. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Luke continues to you know, emphasize this. They had the goodwill of the people, but there were a few officials, Jewish officials, mind you, not Roman officials, but Jewish officials. So in, in this case, you have the very first opposition you know, I mean, discounting th those who put Jesus to death. It's the very same people here, Annas, Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin. See, it's the, it's primarily, I know that we're always primed to think that Jesus's enemies were from the Pharisees, and the Pharisees certainly didn't like him. But in the book of Acts, it's these Sadducean uh, 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 aristocrats. The, the Sadducees and Pharisees are two different parties in the religious makeup of of Israel and they don't always get along that they have some very strong theological differences basically the Sadducees are more conservative 
the Pharisees had this long oral tradition adding to the law, their own laws, their own tradition, but the Sadducees only accept the written Torah, the written law of God. So they don't accept any of the oral tradition of the Pharisees. They also, and this is important, they don't accept any resurrection from the dead. They don't believe in an afterlife. The Sadducees don't. And so here, it's the Sadducees who are primarily the opponents here of Peter and John. And the scripture we're reading today begins while they're still talking, while Peter and John are both speaking. You, you get the impression that Peter does all the talking, but here it's plain that John wasn't silent either. So Peter and John are both talking. The Sadducees lead the, 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 the charge here. And it says they're upset because they're teaching that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. So it's sort of two things there. Resurrection of the dead, which they don't accept at all on theological grounds. But it's this idea that it's through Jesus. It's, it's lifting up Jesus as a messianic figure. It's, it's that also. Uh, remember I said that the Sadducees are kind of aristocrats, that they own land. They tend to be wealthy, and for that reason, they got more to lose. They were more accommodating toward the Roman occupation, and they're less likely to want to, uh, you know, poke Rome. You know, they, they don't want to draw attention. They don't want to draw the ire of Rome. And so for that reason, the Sadducees have very political reasons and theological reasons for opposing this movement. So what we have here is this first initial hearing. It's a preliminary hearing between uh, Peter and John here, first off, representing the apostles and this uh, Jewish uh, religious establishment, the, the, the Sanhedrin. Basically, what we have here, the outcome, is that they are brought in, they have this hearing, uh, they're interrogated, and they are let off with a warning. A warning uh, just to stop preaching about Jesus, stop saying the name of Jesus. So, again, it's, it's, it's really pretty interesting, and, and I think the story itself comes out uh, in, in sort of an amazing way. Um, First off, I just remind you that Peter and John, they didn't come to the temple that day to uh, to draw a crowd, to even to preach the gospel. They just went to the temple to pray. They're Jews. They're good Jews. They go to the temple to pray. But because they're following Jesus now, unexpected things tend to happen. And so they ended up healing the lame man because that's what Jesus would do. And then all the people say, hey, how did you do that? And so since they asked, Peter and John answer. Now, later in the, in, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter will say, hey, you be ready always to give an answer when somebody asks you. So this is Peter's primary evangelistic strategy. You just answer when people ask. If people ask a question and the answer is Jesus, you tell them about Jesus, you see. And so that's really his entire evangelistic strategy. They ask and so they, they, they truly have, have, have answered. So notice here. The members of the council, the, the Sanhedrin, are amazed when they see the boldness of Peter and John. Okay, so first off, they're impressed by their boldness, for they can see that they're ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. I think that's interesting. The fact that they're so ordinary is what makes them such effective witnesses. Remember, these guys are fishermen. They're standing before a council of theological aristocrats. They're standing before a council of scholars and trained men in the scriptures. And the first thing they notice is, boy, I mean, these hillbillies you don't have any training whatsoever. I mean, it's obvious they have not studied. <laughs> man, I can tell you, man, I can remember back in the day, man, school, when, you know, I'd be asked a question, I'd be in, you know, 
lit class in college literature. We were trying to read Portrait of a Lady, and I hated that. I never, I, I didn't even, I never, poor Miss Schwarzkopf, I never read that book, you know. And sometimes, I'm sure it was obvious, you know, she would ask me a question, and I would answer, and it would be obvious that I had not studied. <laughs> You know what I mean? And so here we go. They start questioning, you know, Peter and John, and it becomes obvious that they have not had any training. I think that's amazing. Um, but that's also the power of the witness, you, you know? it's kind. Of, I heard a lady say that she, like, won't buy, like, like if, if she's going to buy clothes off the Internet, they're going to have to be modeled by somebody that looks like her. You know, it's like if you're if you're shopping for Spanx or a girdle, you don't want to buy a girdle that's being modeled by a size two. <laughs> you know? Like, I, you know, the lady was saying, I want to see somebody that looks like me modeling them Spanx so that I know you, you understand. It, it's the idea that, you know, if man, um, the fact that Peter and John are so ordinary and the fact that you and I are so ordinary. You know, if we look like we had this power on our own, then our lives wouldn't point to a power beyond ourselves. If we look like we had it all together, then nobody would wonder, my goodness, how did she get it all together? I mean, you know, uh, the very fact that our lives still show our weakness makes us able, better able to point to the strength that comes from Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so the fact that you and I are so ordinary, like you say, Pastor Tim, I don't feel like I can talk about Jesus because I don't know a lot of Bible verses. Great. <laughs> you're hired. You're qualified. You know, Pastor Tim, you know, every time I try to talk about Jesus, I get all tongue-tied. Forget what I'm trying to say. You are hired. You know, if you could bring a smooth, prepared speech, ain't nobody going to listen to that, you know. It's it's when you begin talking about something from your heart, you know, and your chin starts to quiver and you, and you get all emotional because it, it's so, it's just coming from your heart. You, yes, you're hired, you know. They realize that these guys are ordinary men, but they have been with Jesus. You see, that's the qualification right there. Ordinary people who know Jesus. You've had an experience with Jesus. You're qualified right there, you know. I've heard some really smooth speakers, but they didn't seem to know anything about Jesus or they didn't seem to have anything recent to tell about Jesus. I, I went to a conference once where this pastor told these amazing stories about his experience with Jesus. And man, I was so moved. And so like the next year I went back to the same conference and this dude was teaching the same workshop. You know, and I thought, man, I'm going to go hear him because, man, last time he had stories to tell about Jesus. Well, I went that second time. He was telling the same stories, you know, which kind of made me think, well, dude, you know, if Jesus is so real to you, why don't you have any new story? Like in the past year, nothing new has happened. You know, they had been with Jesus, you know. And so, honestly, you can't tell the story of Jesus until you got a story to tell about Jesus. And, and that's some story from 1982, you know? Tell me what he's done for you today. Tell me how he moved your heart today. Tell me how he moved your heart, you know, in church on Easter Sunday. I mean, tell me what Jesus is doing in your life right now. Because that's the story you've got to tell right there. And that's the story nobody can argue with. And I'm telling you, that's the story that's going to be compelling to a lost and dying world. They want to know that Jesus is alive today, that he has power to change lives today. Ordinary lives like theirs, ordinary lives like yours and mine. 
you know? So they say, okay, obviously we can't, you know, we can't act like they didn't just heal the man that everybody knows was lame, was crippled. So you know, we, we can't pretend that didn't happen. So let's just tell them to, to go on out there. You can do your thing. You just can't, you can't talk about Jesus while you do it. See, they think that's the compromise. They think that's going to be a, a, an offer they can't refuse. You know, you can do your thing. You can believe in Jesus. Just don't talk about Jesus. Peter and John say, yeah, you, uh, you know, you really think God wants us to obey you more than he wants us to obey him? You know, great verse. I think God wants us to obey, you know, we're supposed to obey God, you know, rather than men, right? This is, uh, we, we, we can't stop. You know, if you think we're going to walk out here and not talk about what we've seen and heard about Jesus, you know, we can't stop. I love that. We can't stop. And at the end, again, everyone is praising God for this miraculous sign. That's how the story ends because this is a man who had been crippled for over 40 years. Man, I love that story. I love it so much, man. I love how they say, we can't stop. You know, remember Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And this is them being witnesses, man. This is what we've seen. This is what we've heard. And we're going to keep talking about it, you know. Um, I think one of the reasons that, that you and I sometimes don't seem to have anything to talk about is because we haven't seen or heard anything lately of Jesus. That just reminds me that we need to walk a little more closely with them. When you walk with Jesus, things happen. You're going to see things. You're going to hear things. Um, but uh, if you're walking by yourself, you're not going to have a story to tell. We can't stop, they say. They're witnesses. I love it. Pick up right here tomorrow. Just a few verses. Chapter 4, verses 23 uh, uh, all the way, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, gosh, I'm confused. All the way to the end, uh, verse 23 to 37, all right? Tomorrow, uh, chapter 4, verse 23. I wrote it down wrong on my paper. Uh, chapter 4, verses 23 to 37, all the way to the end of the chapter, okay? So we'll finish up chapter 4 tomorrow, and I'll see you then. Listen, have a good Tuesday, have a good Wednesday, and I'll see you then tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. For Tim with Tim, chapter 4, verses 23 to 27. I love you guys. I'll see you tomorrow.